Chapter Five of The Absentee by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In the meantime, Lady Clonbrony had been occupied with thoughts very different from those which passed in the mind of her son. Though she had never completely recovered from her rheumatic pains, she had become inordinately impatient of confinement to her own house, and weary of those dull evenings at home which had, in her son's absence, become insupportable she told over her visiting tickets regularly twice a day and gave to every card of invitation a heartfelt sigh miss pratt alarmed her ladyship by bringing intelligence of some parties given by persons of consequence to which she was not invited she feared that she should be forgotten in the world well knowing how soon the world forgets those they do not see every day and everywhere how miserable is the fine lady's lot who cannot forget the world and who is forgot by the world in a moment how much more miserable still is the condition of a would-be fine lady working her way up in the world with care and pains by her every the slightest failure of attention from persons of rank and fashion is marked and felt with jealous anxiety and with a sense of mortification the most acute an invitation omitted is a matter of the most serious consequence not only as it regards the present but the future for if she be not invited by lady a it will lower her in the eyes of lady b and of all the ladies of the alphabet it will form a precedent of the most dangerous and inevitable application if she has nine invitations and the tenth be wanting the nine have no power to make her happy this was precisely lady clonbrony's case there was to be a party at lady st james's for which lady clonbrony had no card so ungrateful so monstrous of lady st james what was the gala so soon forgotten and all the marked attentions paid that night to lady st james attentions you know pratt which were looked upon with a jealous eye and made me enemies enough i am told in another quarter of all people i did not expect to be slighted by lady st james miss pratt who was ever ready to undertake the defence of any person who had a title pleaded in mitigation of censure that perhaps lady st james might not be aware that her ladyship was yet well enough to venture out oh my dear miss pratt that cannot be the thing for in spite of my rheumatism which really was bad enough last sunday i went on purpose to the royal chapel to show myself in the closet and knelt close to her ladyship and my dear we curtsied and she congratulated me after church upon my being abroad again and was so happy to see me look so well and all that oh it is something very extraordinary and unaccountable but i dare say a card will come yet said miss pratt upon this hint lady clonbrony's hope revived and staying her anger she began to consider how she could manage to get herself invited refreshing tickets were left next morning at lady st james's with their corners properly turned up to do the thing better separate tickets for herself and for miss nugent were left for each member of the family and her civil messages left with the footman extended to the utmost possibility of remainder it had occurred to her ladyship that for miss somebody the companion of whom she had never in her life thought before she had omitted to leave a card last time and she now left a note of explanation 
she further with her rheumatic head and arm out of the coach-window sat the wind blowing keen upon her explaining to the porter and the footman to discover whether her former tickets had gone safely up to lady st james and on the present occasion to make assurance doubly sure she slid handsome expedition money into the servant's hand sir you will be sure to remember oh certainly your ladyship she well knew what dire offence has frequently been taken what sad disasters have occurred in the fashionable world from the neglect of a porter in delivering or of a footman in carrying up one of those talismanic cards but in spite of all her manoeuvres no invitation to the party arrived next day pratt was next set to work miss pratt was a most convenient go-between who in consequence of doing a thousand little services to which few others of her rank in life would stoop had obtained the entree to a number of great houses and was behind the scenes in many fashionable families pratt could find out and pratt could hint and pratt could manage to get things done cleverly and hints were given in all directions to work round to lady st james but still they did not take effect at last pratt suggested that perhaps though everything else had failed dried salmon might be tried with success lady clonbrony had just had some uncommonly good from ireland which pratt knew lady st james would like to have at her supper because a certain personage whom she would not name was particularly fond of it wheel within wheel in the fine world as well as in the political world bribes for all occasions and for all ranks the timely present was sent accepted with many thanks and understood as it was meant per favour of this propitiatory offering and of a promise of half a dozen pair of real limerick gloves to miss pratt a promise which pratt clearly comprehended to be a conditional promise the grand object was at length accomplished the very day before the party was to take place came cards of invitation to lady clonbrony and to miss nugent with lady st james's apologies her ladyship was concerned to find that by some negligence of her servants these cards were not sent in proper time how slight an apology will do from some people thought miss nugent how eager to forgive when it is for our interest or our pleasure how well people act the being deceived even when all parties know that they see the whole truth and how low pride will stoop to gain its object ashamed of the whole transaction miss nugent earnestly wished that a refusal should be sent and reminded her aunt of her rheumatism but rheumatism and all other objections were overruled lady clonbrony would go it was just when this affair was thus in her opinion successfully settled that lord colambre came in with a countenance of unusual seriousness his mind full of the melancholy scenes he had witnessed in his friend's family what is the matter colambre he related what had passed he described the brutal conduct of mordecai the anguish of the mother and sisters the distress of mr beryl tears rolled down miss nugent's cheeks lady clonbrony declared it was very shocking listened with attention to all the particulars but never failed to correct her son whenever he said mr beryl 
sir arthur Beryl, you mean she was however really touched with compassion when he spoke of lady Beryl's destitute condition and her son was going on to repeat what mordecai had said to him but lady clondroney interrupted oh my dear colambre don't repeat that detestable man's impertinent speeches to me if there is anything really about business speak to your father at any rate don't tell us of it now because i've a hundred things to do said her ladyship hurrying out of the room grace grace nugent i want you lord colambre sighed deeply don't despair said miss nugent as she followed to obey her aunt's summons don't despair don't attempt to speak to her again till to-morrow morning her head is now full of lady st james's party when it is emptied of that you will have a better chance never despair never while you encourage me to hope that any good can be done lady clonbrony was particularly glad that she had carried her point about this party at lady st james's because from the first private intimation that the duchess of torcaster was to be there her ladyship flattered herself that the long-desired introduction might then be accomplished but of this hope lady st james had likewise received intimation from the double-dealing miss pratt and a warning note was dispatched to the duchess to let her grace know that circumstances had occurred which had rendered it impossible not to ask the clonbronies an excuse of course for not going to this party was sent by the duchess her grace did not like large parties she would have the pleasure of accepting lady st james's invitation for her select party on wednesday the tenth into these select parties lady clonbrony had never been admitted in return for her great entertainments she was invited to great entertainments to large parties but farther she could never penetrate at lady st james's and with her set lady clonbrony suffered a different kind of mortification from that which lady langdale and mrs dareville made her endure she was safe from the witty raillery the sly innuendo the insolent mimicry but she was kept at a cold impassable distance by ceremony so far shalt thou go and no farther was expressed in every look in every word and in a thousand different ways by the most punctilious respect and nice regard to precedency even by words of courtesy your ladyship does me honour etc lady st james contrived to mortify and to mark the difference between those with whom she was and with whom she was not upon terms of intimacy and equality thus the ancient grandees of spain drew a line of demarcation between themselves and the newly created nobility whenever or wherever they met they treated the new nobles with the utmost respect never addressed them but with all their titles with low bows and with all the appearance of being with the most perfect consideration anything but their equals whilst towards one another the grandees laid aside their state and omitting their titles it was alcala medina sedonia infantado and a freedom and familiarity which marked equality entrenched in etiquette in this manner and mocked with marks of respect it was impossible either to intrude or to complain of being excluded at supper at lady st james's 
lady clonbrony's present was pronounced by some gentlemen to be remarkably high-flavoured this observation turned the conversation to irish commodities and ireland lady clonbrony possessed by the idea that it was disadvantageous to appear as an irish woman or as a favourer of ireland began to be embarrassed by lady st james's repeated thanks had it been in her power to offer anything else with propriety she would not have thought of sending her ladyship anything from ireland vexed by the questions that were asked her about her country lady clonbrony as usual denied it to be her country and went on to depreciate and abuse everything irish to declare that there was no possibility of living in ireland and that for her own part she was resolved never to return thither lady st james preserving perfect silence let her go on lady clonbrony imagining that this silence arose from coincidence of opinion proceeded with all the eloquence she possessed which was very little repeating the same exclamations and reiterating her vow of perpetual expatriation till at last an elderly lady who was a stranger to her and whom she had till this moment scarcely noticed took up the defence of ireland with much warmth and energy the eloquence with which she spoke and the respect with which she was heard astonished lady clonbrony who is she whispered her ladyship does not your ladyship know lady oranmore the irish lady oranmore lord bless me what have i said what have i done oh why did you not give me a hint lady st james i was not aware that your ladyship was not acquainted with lady oranmore replied lady st james unmoved by her distress everybody sympathized with lady oranmore and admired the honest zeal with which she abided by her country and defended it against unjust aspersions and affected execrations every one present enjoyed lady clonbrony's confusion except miss nugent who sat with her eyes bowed down by penetrative shame during the whole of this scene she was glad that lord colambre was not witness to it and comforted herself with the hope that upon the whole lady clonbrony would be benefited by the pain she had felt this instance might convince her that it was not necessary to deny her country to be received in any company in england and that those who have the courage and steadiness to be themselves and to support what they feel and believe to be the truth must command respect miss nugent hoped that in consequence of this conviction lady clonbrony would lay aside the little affectations by which her manners were painfully constrained and ridiculous and above all she hoped that what lady oranmore had said of ireland might dispose her aunt to listen with patience to all lord colambre might urge in favour of returning to her home but miss nugent hoped in vain lady clonbrony never in her life generalized any observations or drew any but a partial conclusion from the most striking facts lord my dear grace said she as soon as they were seated in their carriage what a scrape i got into to-night at supper and what disgrace i came to and all this because i did not know lady oranmore now you see the inconceivable disadvantage of not knowing everybody everybody of a certain rank of course i mean 
miss nugent endeavoured to slide in her own moral on the occasion but it would not do yes my dear lady oranmore may talk in that kind of style of ireland because on the other hand she is so highly connected in england and besides she is an old lady and may take liberties in short she is lady oranmore and that's enough the next morning when they all met at breakfast lady clonbrony complained bitterly of her increased rheumatism of the disagreeable stupid party they had had the preceding night and of the necessity of going to another formal party that night the next and the next and in the true fine lady style deplored her situation and the impossibility of avoiding those things which felt they curse yet covet still to feel miss nugent determined to retire as soon as she could from the breakfast-room to leave lord colambre an opportunity of talking over his family affairs at full liberty she knew by the seriousness of his countenance that his mind was intent upon doing so and she hoped that his influence with his father and mother would not be exerted in vain but just as she was rising from the breakfast-table in came sir terence o'fay and seating himself quite at his ease in spite of lady clonbrony's repulsive looks his awe of lord colambre having now worn off i'm tired said he and have a right to be tired for it's no small walk i've taken for the good of this noble family this morning and miss nugent before i say more i'll take a cup of ta from you if you please lady clonbrony rose with great stateliness and walked to the farthest end of the room where she established herself at her writing-table and began to write notes sir terence wiped his forehead deliberately then i've had a fine run miss nugent i believe you never saw me run but i can run i promise you when it's to serve a friend and my lord turning to lord clonbrony what do you think i run for this morning to buy a bargain and of what a bargain of a bad debt a debt of yours which i bargained for and up just in time and mordecai's ready to hang himself this minute for what do you think but that rascal was bringing upon you but an execution he was an execution repeated everybody present except lord colambre and how has this been prevented sir said lord colambre oh let me alone for that said sir terence oh, i got a hint from my little friend paddy brady who would not be paid for it either though he's as poor as a rat well as soon as i got the hint i dropped the thing i had in my hand which was the dublin evenin and ran for the bare life for there wasn't a coach in my slippers as i was to get into the prior creditor's shoes who is the little solicitor that lives in crutched friars which mordecai never dreamt of luckily so he was very genteel though he was taken on a sudden and from his breakfast which an englishman don't like particularly i popped him a douceur of a draught at thirty-one days on garrity the agent of which he must get notice but i won't descant on the law before the ladies he handed me over his debt and execution and he made me prior creditor in a choice then i took coach in state the first i met and away with me to long acre saw mordecai sir says i i hear you're meditating an execution on a friend of mine am i said the rascal who told you so no matter said i but i just called in to let you know there's no use in life of your execution for there's a prior creditor with his execution to be satisfied first 
so he made a great many black faces and said a great deal which i never listened to but came off here clean to tell you all the story not one word of which do i understand said lady clonbrony then my dear you are very ungrateful said lord clonbrony lord colambre said nothing for he wished to learn more of sir terence o'fay's character of the state of his father's affairs and of the family methods of proceeding in matters of business faith terry i know i'm very thankful to you but an execution's an ugly thing and i hope there's no danger never fear said sir terence haven't i been at my wit's ends for myself or my friends ever since i come to man's estate to years of discretion i should say for the deuce a foot of estate have i but use has sharpened my wits pretty well for your service so never be in dread my good lord for look ye cried the reckless knight sticking his arms akimbo look ye here in sir terence o'fay stands a host that desires no better than to encounter single-witted all the duns in the united kingdoms mordecai the jew inclusive ah that's the devil that mordecai said lord clonbrony that's the only man on earth i dread why he is only a coachmaker is not he said lady clonbrony i can't think how you can talk my lord of dreading such a low man tell him if he's troublesome we won't bespeak any more carriages and i'm sure i wish you would not be so silly my lord to employ him any more when you know he disappointed me the last birthday about the landau which i have not got yet nonsense my dear said lord clonbrony you don't know what you're talking of terry i say even a friendly execution is an ugly thing foo foo an ugly ting so is a fit of the gout but one's all the better for it after tis just a renewal of life my lord for which one must pay a bit of a fine you know take patience and leave me to manage all properly you know i'm used to these things only you recollect if you please how i manage my friend lord it's bad to be mentioning names but lord everybody knows who didn't i bring him through cleverly when there was that rascally attempt to seize the family plate i had notice and what did i do but broke open a partition between that lord's house and my lodgings which i had taken next door and so when the sheriff's officers were searchin below on the ground floor i just shoved the plate easy true to my bedchamber at a moment's warning and then bid the gentlemen walk in for they couldn't set a foot in my paradise the devils so they stood looking at it through the wall and cursing me and i holding both my sides with laughter at their fallen faces sir terence and lord clonbrony laughed in concert this is a good story said miss nugent smiling but surely sir terence such things are never done in real life done ay are they and i could tell you a hundred better strokes my dear miss nugent grace cried lady clonbrony do pray have the goodness to seal and send these notes for really whispered she as her niece came to the table i can't stay i can't bear that man's vice his accent grows horrider and horrider her ladyship rose and left the room why then continued sir terence following up miss nugent to the table where she was sealing letters i must tell you how i sarved that same man on another occasion and got the victory too no general officer could talk of his victories or fight his battles o'er again with more complacency than sir terence o'fay recounted his civil exploits now i'll tell miss nugent 
there was a footman in the family not an irishman but one of your powdered english scoundrels that ladies are so fond of having hanging to the backs of their carriages one fleming he was that turned spy and traitor and informer went privately and gave notice to the creditors where the plate was hid in the thickness of the chimney but if he did what happened why i had my counter-spy an honest little irish boy in the creditor's shop that i had secured with a little douceur of usquiba and he outwitted as was natural the english lion valet and gave us notice just in the neck and i got ready for their reception and miss nugent i only wish you'd seen the excellent sport we had lettin them follow the scent they got and when they were sure of their game what did they find <laughs> dragged out after a world of labour a heavy box of a load of brickbats not an item of my friend's plate that was all snug in the coal-hole where them dunces never thought of looking for it <laughs> but come terry cried lord clonbrony i'll pull down your pride how finally another time your job of the false ceiling answered in the hall i've heard that story and have been told how the sheriff's fellow thrust his bayonet up through your false plaster and down came tumbling the family plate hey terry that hit cost your friend lord everybody knows who more than your head's worth terry i ask your pardon my lord it never cost him a farthing when he paid seven thousand pounds for the plate to redeem it well and did not i make up for that at the races of blank the creditors learned that my lord's horse nabocleish was to run at blank races and as the sheriff's officer knew he dare not touch him on the race ground what does he do but he comes down early in the morning on the mail-coach and walks straight down to the livery stables he had an exact description of the stables and the stall and the horse's body clothes i was there seeing the horse taken care of and knowing the cut of the fellow's jib what does i do but whips the body clothes off nabocleish and claps them upon a garonne that the priest would not ride in comes the bailiff good morrow to you sir says i leadin out of the stable my lord's horse with an old saddle and bridle on tim neal says i to the groom who was rubbing down the garonne's heels mind your hits to-day and we'll wet the plate to-night not so fast neither says the bailiff here's my writ for seizing the horse och says i you wouldn't be so cruel that's all my eye says he season the garonne while i mounted nabocleish and rode him off deliberately to <laughs> that was neat i grant you terry said lord clonbrony but what a dolt of a born ignoramus must that sheriff's fellow have been not to know nabocleish when he saw him but stay my lord stay miss nugent i have more for you following her wherever she moved i did not let him off so even at the cant i bid and bid against them for the pretended nabocleish till i left him on their hands for five hundred guineas <laughs> was not that famous but said miss nugent i cannot believe you are in earnest sir terence surely this would be what out with it my dear miss nugent i am afraid of offending you you can't my dear i defy you say the word that came to the tongue's end it's always the best i was going to say swindling said the young lady colouring deeply 
oh you was going to say wrong then it's not called swindlin amongst gentlemen who know the world it's only jockeyin fine sport and very honourable to help a friend at a dead lift anything to get a friend out of a present pressin difficulty and when the present difficulty is over do your friends never think of the future the future leave the future to posterity said sir terence i'm counsel only for the present and when the evil comes it's time enough to think of it i can't bring the guns of my wits to bear till the enemy's alongside of me or within sight of me at the least and besides there never was a good commander yet by sea or land that would tell his little expedients beforehand or before the very day of battle it must be a sad thing said miss nugent sighing deeply to be reduced to live by little expedients daily expedients lord colambre struck his forehead but said nothing but if you are beaten your brains about your own affairs my lord colambre my dear said sir terence there's an easy way of settling your family affairs at once and since you don't like little daily expedients miss nugent there's one great expedient and an expedient for life that will settle it all to your satisfaction and ours i hinted it delicately to you before but between friends delicacy is impertinent so i tell you in plain english you've nothing to do but go and propose yourself just as you stand to the heiress miss b that desires no better sir cried lord colambre stepping forward red with sudden anger miss nugent laid her hand upon his arm oh my lord sir terence o'fay continued lord colambre in a moderated tone you are wrong to mention that young lady's name in such a manner why then i said only miss b and there are a whole hive of bees but i'll engage she'd thank me for what i suggested and think herself the queen bee if my expedient was adopted by you sir terence said his lordship smiling if my father thinks proper that you should manage his affairs and devise expedients for him i have nothing to say on that point but i must beg you will not trouble yourself to suggest expedients for me and that you will have the goodness to leave me to settle my own affairs sir terence made a low bow and was silent for five seconds then turning to lord clonbrony who looked much more abashed than he did by the wise one my good lord i believe there are some men noblemen too that don't know their friends from their enemies it's my firm persuasion now that if i had served you as i served my friend i was talking of your son there would ten to one think i had done him an injury by saving the family plate i certainly should sir the family plate sir is not the first object in my mind replied lord colambre family honour nay miss nugent i must speak continued his lordship perceiving by her countenance that she was alarmed never fear miss nugent dear said sir terence i am as cool as a cucumber faith then my lord colambre i agree with you that family honour's a mighty fine thing only troublesome to one's self and one's friends and expensive to keep up with all the other expenses and debts a gentleman has nowadays so i that am under no natural obligations to it by birth or otherwise have just stood by true life and asked myself before i would volunteer being bound to it what could the same family honour do for a man in this world 
and first and foremost i never remember to see family honour stand a man in much stead in a court of law never saw family honour stand against an execution or a custodian or an injunction even tis a rare thing this same family honour and a very fine thing but i never knew it yet at a pinch pay for a pair of boots even added sir terence drawing up his own with much complacency at this moment sir terence was called out of the room by one who wanted to speak to him on particular business my dear father cried lord colambre do not follow him stay for one moment and hear your son your true friend miss nugent went out of the room that she might leave the father and son at liberty hear your natural friend for one moment cried lord colambre let me beseech you father not to have recourse to any of these paltry expedients but trust your son with the state of your affairs and we shall find some honourable means yes 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 very true when you're of age colambre we'll talk of it but nothing can be done till then we shall get on we shall get through very well till then with terry's assistance and i must beg you will not say a word more against terry i can't bear it i can't hear it i can't do without him pray don't detain me i can say no more except added he returning to his usual concluding sentence that there need at all events be none of this if people would but live upon their own estates and kill their own mutton he stole out of the room glad to escape however shabbily from present explanation and present pain there are persons without resource who in difficulties return always to the same point and usually to the same words while lord colambre was walking up and down the room much vexed and disappointed at finding that he could make no impression on his father's mind nor obtain his confidence as to his family affairs lady clonbrony's woman mrs petito knocked at the door with a message from her lady to beg if lord colambre was by himself he would go to her dressing-room as she wished to have a conference with him he obeyed her summons sit down my dear colambre and she began precisely with her old sentence with the fortune i brought your father and with my lord's estate i can't understand the meaning of all these pecuniary difficulties and all that strange creature sir terence says is algebra to me who speak english and i am particularly sorry he was let in this morning but he's such a brute that he does not think anything of forcing one's door and he tells my footman he does not mind not at home a pinch of snuff now what can you do with a man who would say that sort of thing you know the world's at an end i wish my father had nothing to do with him ma'am as much as you can wish it said lord colambre but i have said all that a son can with propriety say and without effect what particularly provokes me against him continued lady clonbrony is what i have just heard from grace who was really hurt by it too for she is the warmest friend in the world i allude to the creature's indelicate way of touching upon a tender pint and mentioning an amiable young heiress's name my dear colambre i trust you have given me credit for my inviolable silence all this time upon the pint nearest my heart i am rejoiced to hear you was so warm when she was mentioned inadvertently by that brute and i trust you now see the advantages of the projected union in as strong and agreeable a point of view as i do my own colambre 
and i should leave things to themselves and let you prolong the dece of courtship as you please only for what i now hear incidentally from my lord and the brute about pecuniary embarrassments and the necessity of something being done before next winter and indeed i think now in propriety the proposal cannot be delayed much longer for the world begins to talk of the thing as done and even mrs broadhurst i know had no doubt that if this contretemps about the poor barrels had not occurred your proposal would have been made before the end of last week our hero was not a man to make a proposal because mrs broadhurst expected it or to marry because the world said he was going to be married he steadily said that from the first moment the subject had been mentioned he had explained himself distinctly that the young lady's friends could not therefore be under any doubt as to his intentions that if they had voluntarily deceived themselves or exposed the lady in situations from which the world was led to make false conclusions he was not answerable he felt his conscience at ease entirely so as he was convinced that the young lady herself for whose merit talents independence and generosity of character he professed high respect esteem and admiration had no doubts either of the extent or the nature of his regard regard respect esteem admiration why my dearest colambre this is saying all i want satisfies me and i am sure would satisfy mrs broadhurst and miss broadhurst too no doubt it will ma'am but not if i aspired to the honour of miss broadhurst's hand or professed myself her lover my dear you are mistaken miss broadhurst is too sensible a girl a vast deal to look for love and a dying lover and all that sort of stuff i am persuaded indeed i have it from good from the best authority that the young lady you know one must be delicate in these cases where a young lady of such fortune and no despicable family too is concerned therefore i cannot speak quite plainly but i say i have it from the best authority that you would be preferred to any other suitor and in short that i beg your pardon madam for interrupting you cried lord colambre colouring a good deal but you must excuse me if i say that the only authority on which i could believe this is one from which i am morally certain i shall never hear it from miss broadhurst herself lord child if you would only ask her the question she would tell you it is truth i dare say but as i have no curiosity on the subject ma'am lord bless me i thought everybody had curiosity but still without curiosity i am sure it would gratify you when you did hear it and can't you just put the simple question impossible impossible now that is so very provoking when the thing is all but done well take your own time all i will ask of you then is to let things go on as they are going smoothly and pleasantly and i'll not press you farther on the subject at present let things go on smoothly that's all i ask and say nothing i wish i could oblige you mother but i cannot do this since you tell me that the world and miss broadhurst's friends have already misunderstood my intentions it becomes necessary in justice to the young lady and to myself that i should make all further doubt impossible i shall therefore put an end to it at once by leaving town to-morrow 
lady clonbrony breathless for a moment with surprise exclaimed bless me leave town to-morrow just at the beginning of the season impossible i never saw such a precipitate rash young man but stay only a few weeks colambre the physicians advise buxton for my rheumatism and you shall take us to buxton early in the season you cannot refuse me that why if miss broadhurst was a dragon you could not be in a greater hurry to run away from her what are you afraid of of doing what is wrong the only thing i trust of which i shall ever be afraid lady clonbrony tried persuasion and argument such argument as she could use but all in vain lord colambre was firm in his resolution at last she came to tears and her son in much agitation said i cannot bear this mother i would do anything you ask that i could do with honour but this is impossible why impossible i will take all blame upon myself and you are sure that miss broadhurst does not misunderstand you and you esteem her and admire her and all that and all i ask is that you'll go on as you are and see more of her and how do you know but you may fall in love with her as you call it to-morrow because madam since you press me so far my affections are engaged to another person do not look so dreadfully shocked my dear mother i have told you truly that i think myself too young much too young yet to marry in the circumstances in which i know my family are it is probable that i shall not for some years be able to marry as i wish you may depend upon it that i shall not take any step i shall not even declare my attachment to the object of my affection without your knowledge and far from being inclined to follow headlong my own passions strong as they are be assured that the honour of my family your happiness my mother my father's are my first objects i shall never think of my own till these are secured of the conclusion of this speech lady clonbrony heard only the sound of the words from the moment her son had pronounced that his affections were engaged she had been running over in her head every probable and improbable person she could think of at last suddenly starting up she opened one of the folding doors into the next apartment and called grace grace nugent put down your pencil grace this minute and come here miss nugent obeyed with her usual alacrity and the moment she entered the room lady clonbrony fixing her eyes full upon her said there's your cousin colambre tells me his affections are engaged yes to miss broadhurst no doubt said miss nugent smiling with a simplicity and openness of countenance which assured lady clonbrony that all was safe in that quarter a suspicion which had darted into her mind was dispelled no doubt ay do you hear that no doubt colambre grace you see has no doubt nobody has any doubt but yourself colambre and are your affections engaged and not to miss broadhurst said miss nugent approaching lord colambre there now you see how you surprise and disappoint everybody colambre i am sorry that miss nugent should be disappointed said lord colambre but because i am disappointed pray do not call me miss nugent or turn away from me as if you were displeased it must then be some cambridgeshire lady said lady clonbrony i am sure i am very sorry he ever went to cambridge oxford i advised one of the miss barrels i presume who have nothing 
i'll have nothing more to do with those barrels there was the reason of the son's vast intimacy grace you may give up all thoughts of sir arthur i have no thoughts to give up ma'am said miss nugent smiling miss broadhurst continued she going on eagerly with what she was saying to lord colambre miss broadhurst is my friend a friend i love and admire but you will allow that i strictly kept my promise never to praise her to you till you should begin to praise her to me now recollect last night you did praise her to me so justly that i thought you liked her i confess so that it is natural i should feel a little disappointed now you know the whole of my mind i have no intention to encroach on your confidence therefore there is no occasion to look so embarrassed i give you my word i will never speak to you again upon the subject said she holding out her hand to him provided you will never again call me miss nugent am i not your own cousin grace do not be displeased with her you are my own dear cousin grace and nothing can be farther from my mind than any thought of being displeased with her especially just at this moment when i am going away probably for a considerable time away when where to-morrow morning for ireland ireland of all places cried lady clonbrony what upon earth puts it into your head to go to ireland you do very well to go out of the way of falling in love ridiculously since that is the reason of your going but what put ireland into your head child i will not presume to ask my mother what put ireland out of her head said lord colambre smiling but she will recollect that it is my native country that was your father's fault not mine said lady clonbrony for i wished to have been confined in england but he would have it to say that his son and heir was born at clonbrony castle and there was a great argument between him and my uncle and something about the prince of wales and carnarvon castle was thrown in and that turned the scale much against my will for it was my wish that my son should be an englishman born like myself but after all i don't see that having the misfortune to be born in a country should tie one to it in any sort of way and i should have hoped your english education colambre would have given you too liberal ideas for that so i really don't see why you should go to ireland merely because it's your native country not merely because it is my native country but i wish to go thither i desire to become acquainted with it because it is the country in which my father's property lies and from which we draw our subsistence subsistence lord bless me what a word fitter for a pauper than a nobleman subsistence then if you are going to look after your father's property i hope you will make the agents do their duty and send us remittances and pray how long do you mean to stay till i am of age madam if you have no objection i will spend the ensuing months in travelling in ireland and i will return here by the time i am of age unless you and my father should before that time be in ireland not the least chance of that if i can prevent it i promise you said lady clonbrony lord colambre and miss nugent sighed and i am sure i shall take it very unkindly of you colambre if you go and turn out a partisan for ireland after all like grace nugent a partisan no i hope not a partisan but a friend said miss nugent nonsense child 
i hate to hear people women especially and young ladies particularly talk of being friends to this country or that country what can they know about countries better think of being friends to themselves and friends to their friends i was wrong said miss nugent to call myself a friend to ireland i meant to say that ireland had been a friend to me that i found irish friends when i had no other an irish home when i had no other that my earliest and happiest years under your kind care had been spent there and that i can never forget that my dear aunt i hope you do not wish that i should heaven forbid my sweet grace said lady clonbrony touched by her voice and manner heaven forbid i don't wish you to do or be anything but what you are for i am convinced there's nothing i could ask you would not do for me and i can tell you there's few things you could ask love i would not do for you a wish was instantly expressed in the eyes of her niece lady clonbrony though not usually quick at interpreting the wishes of others understood and answered before she ventured to make her request in words ask anything but that grace return to clonbrony while i am able to live in london that i never can or will do for you or anybody looking at her son in all the pride of obstinacy so there is an end of the matter go you where you please clamber and i shall stay where i please i suppose as your mother i have a right to say this much her son with the utmost respect assured her that he had no design to infringe upon her undoubted liberty of judging for herself that he had never interfered except so far as to tell her circumstances of her affairs with which she seemed to be totally unacquainted and of which it might be dangerous to her to continue in ignorance don't talk to me about affairs cried she drawing her hand away from her son talk to my lord or my lord's agents since you are going to ireland about business i know nothing about business but this i know i shall stay in england and be in london every season as long as i can afford it and when i cannot afford to live here i hope i shall not live anywhere that's my notion of life and that's my determination once for all for if none of the rest of the clonbrony family have any i thank heaven i have some spirit saying this with her most stately manner she walked out of the room lord colambre instantly followed her for after the resolution and the promise he had made he did not dare to trust himself at this moment with miss nugent there was to be a concert this night at lady clonbrony's at which mrs and miss broadhurst were of course expected that they might not be quite unprepared for the event of her son's going to ireland lady clonbrony wrote a note to mrs broadhurst begging her to come half an hour earlier than the time mentioned in the cards that she might talk over something particular that had just occurred what passed at this cabinet council as it seems to have had no immediate influence on affairs we need not record suffice it to observe that a great deal was said and nothing done miss broadhurst however was not a young lady who could be easily deceived even where her passions were concerned the moment her mother told her of lord colambre's intended departure she saw the whole truth she had a strong mind was capable of drawing aside at once the curtain of self-delusion and looking steadily at the skeleton of truth she had a generous perhaps because a strong mind 
for surrounded as she had been from her childhood by every means of self-indulgence which wealth and flattery could bestow she had discovered early what few persons in her situation discover till late in life that selfish gratifications may render us incapable of other happiness but can never of themselves make us happy despising flatterers she had determined to make herself friends to make them in the only possible way by deserving them her father made his immense fortune by the power and habit of constant bold and just calculation the power and habit which she had learned from him she applied on a far larger scale with him it was confined to speculations for the acquisition of money with her it extended to the attainment of happiness he was calculating and mercenary she was estimative and generous miss nugent was dressing for the concert or rather was sitting half-dressed before her glass reflecting when miss broadhurst came into her room miss nugent immediately sent her maid out of the room grace said miss broadhurst looking at grace with an air of open deliberate composure you and i are thinking of the same thing of the same person yes of lord colambre said miss nugent ingenuously and sorrowfully then i can put your mind at ease at once my dear friend by assuring you that i shall think of him no more that i have thought of him i do not deny i have thought that if notwithstanding the difference in our ages and other differences he had preferred me i should have preferred him to any person who has ever yet addressed me on our first acquaintance i clearly saw that he was not disposed to pay court to my fortune and i had also then coolness of judgment sufficient to perceive that it was not probable he should fall in love with my person but i was too proud in my humility too strong in my honesty too brave too ignorant in short i knew nothing of the matter we are all of us more or less subject to the delusions of vanity or hope or love i even i who thought myself so clear-sighted did not know how with one flutter of his wings cupid can set the whole atmosphere in motion change the proportions size color value of every object lead us into a mirage and leave us in a dismal desert my dearest friend said miss nugent in a tone of true sympathy but none but a coward or a fool would sit down in the desert and weep instead of trying to make his way back before the storm rises obliterates the track and overwhelms everything poetry apart my dear grace you may be assured that i shall think no more of lord colambre i believe you are right but i am sorry very sorry it must be so oh spare me your sorrow my sorrow is for lord colambre said miss nugent where will he find such a wife not in miss beryl i am sure pretty as she is a mere fine lady is it possible that lord colambre lord colambre should prefer such a girl lord colambre miss broadhurst looked at her friend as she spoke and saw truth in her eyes saw that she had no suspicion that she was herself the person beloved tell me grace are you sorry that lord colambre is going away 
no i am glad i was sorry when i first heard it but now i am glad very glad it may save him from a marriage unworthy of him restore him to himself and reserve him for the only woman i ever saw who is suited to him who is equal to him who would value and love him as he deserves to be valued and loved stop my dear if you mean me i am not and i never can be that woman therefore as you are my friend and wish my happiness as i sincerely believe you do never i conjure you present such an idea before my mind again it is out of my mind i hope for ever it is important to me that you should know and believe this at least i will preserve my friends now let this subject never be mentioned or alluded to again between us my dear we have subjects enough of conversation we need not have recourse to pernicious sentimental gossipings there is a great difference between wanting a confidant and treating a friend with confidence my confidence you possess all that ought all that is to be known of my mind you know and now i will leave you in peace to dress for the concert oh don't go you don't interrupt me i shall be dressed in a few minutes stay with me and you may be assured that neither now nor at any other time shall i ever speak to you on the subject you desire me to avoid i entirely agree with you about confidants and sentimental gossipings i love you for not loving them a thundering knock at the door announced the arrival of company think no more of love but as much as you please of friendship dress yourself as fast as you can said miss broadhurst dress dress is the order of the day order of the day and order of the night and all for people i don't care for in the least said grace so life passes dear me miss nugent cried petito lady clonbrony's woman coming in with a face of alarm not dressed yet my lady is gone down and mrs broadhurst and my lady pococks come and the honourable mrs tremblum and signor the italian singing gentleman has been walking up and down the apartments there by himself disconsolate this half hour and i wondering all the time nobody rang for me but my lady dressed lord knows how without anybody oh merciful miss nugent if you could stand still for one single particle of a second so then i thought of stepping into miss nugent for the young ladies are talking so fast says i to myself at the door they will never know how time goes unless i give them a hint but now my lady is below there's no need to be sure to be nervous so we may take the thing quietly without being in a flustrum dear ladies is not this now a very sudden motion of our young lords for ireland let a mercy miss nugent i'm sure your motions is sudden enough and your dress behind is all i'm sure i can't tell how oh never mind said the young lady escaping from her it will do very well thank you petito it will do very well never mind repeated petito muttering to herself as she looked after the ladies whilst they ran downstairs i can't abide to dress any young lady who says never mind and it will do very well that and her never talking to one confidentially or trusting one with the least bit of her secrets is the thing i can't put up with from miss nugent and miss broadhurst holding the pins to me as much as to say do your business petito and don't talk now that's so impertinent as if one wasn't the same flesh and blood and had not as good a right to talk of everything and hear of everything as themselves 
and mrs broadhurst too cabinet counselling with my lady and pursing up her city mouth when i come in and turning off the discourse to snuff forsooth as if i was an ignoramus to think they closeted themselves to talk of snuff now i think a lady of quality's woman has as good a right to be trusted with her lady's secrets as with her jewels and if my lady clonbrony was a real lady of quality she'd know that and consider the one as much my paraphernalia as the other so i shall tell my lady to-night as i always do when she vexes me that i never lived in an irish family before and don't know the ways of it then she'll tell me she was born in hoxfordshire then i shall say with my saucy look oh was you my lady i always forget that you was an englishwoman then maybe she'll say forget you forget yourself strangely petito then i shall say with a great deal of dignity if your ladyship thinks so my lady i'd better go and i'd desire no better than that she would take me at my word for my lady dashfort's is a much better place i'm told and she's dying to have me i know and having formed this resolution petito concluded her apparently interminable soliloquy and went with my lord's gentleman into the antechamber to hear the concert and give her judgment on everything as she peeped in through the vista of heads into the apollo's saloon for to-night the alhambra was transformed into the apollo's saloon she saw that whilst the company rank behind rank in close semicircles had crowded round the performers to hear a favourite singer miss broadhurst and lord colambre were standing in the outer semicircle talking to one another earnestly now would petito have given up her reversionary chance of the three nearly new gowns she expected from lady clonbrony in case she stayed or in case she went the reversionary chance of any dress of lady dashfort's except her scarlet velvet merely to hear what miss broadhurst and lord colambre were saying alas she could only see their lips move and of what they were talking whether of music or love and whether the match was to be on or off she could only conjecture but the diplomatic style having now descended to waiting-maids mrs petito talked to her friends in the antechamber with as mysterious and consequential an air and tone as a charge d'affaires or as the lady of a charge d'affaires could have assumed she spoke of her private belief of the impression left upon her mind and her confidential reasons for thinking as she did of her having had it from the fountain's head and of her fear of any committal of her authorities notwithstanding all these authorities lord colambre left london next day and pursued his way to ireland determined that he would see and judge of that country for himself and decide whether his mother's dislike to residing there was founded on caprice or reasonable causes in the meantime it was reported in london that his lordship was gone to ireland to make out the title to some estate which would be necessary for his marriage settlement with the great heiress miss broadhurst whether mrs petito or sir terence o'fay had the greater share in raising and spreading this report it would be difficult to determine but it is certain however or by whomsoever raised it was most useful to lord clonbrony by keeping his creditors quiet End of chapter five